0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Keener, joined by fellow editor Katie Lambert. Hello, Candace. Hi, Katie. I see you have a piece of correspondence in your hand. I do. It's from Vince in St. Paul,
0: Minnesota. And he had a suggestion for us, which actually he titled A Burning Question. And it says, Hi there, Candace and Jane. I am a fervent listener of your podcast, and I have noticed Candace's penchant for the macabre. I thought of a cool topic for your podcast, the Borley Rectory in England. I remember reading about it in a book when I was in grade school and being utterly terrified. I severely enjoy your well-researched and thoughtfully recorded podcast, so I know you will enjoy this topic. And we like that you severely enjoy this.
1: <laughs> How could we sing no? And again, a perfect addition to our Ghosts of History multi-part series. We were delighted to cover the Borley Rectory. And um, before we get into the history of the place dubbed the most haunted house in England, we can start with the basics. Uh, defining rectory, for instance, which is the residence of a clergyman. And if you're anything like me, your interest may be piqued by the fact that a clergyman, a man of, of the cloth, a man of God, would be so spooked by a ghost. It just doesn't seem to add up. But in fact, there were several clergymen who were scared off by the notorious ghost of the Borley Rectory. And as I understand the uh, diverging tales of the house, this is either going to be a ghost story about forbidden love or a ghost story about spousal abuse. And we'll start with the legend that the Borley Rectory
0: was built where a monastery used to be. And in the 13th century, a monk and a nun tried to elope together, but they were caught. And he was hanged, and she, worthy of an Edgar Allan Poe tale, was bricked up within the convent where she died. And the Borley Rectory was built on this place in 1863 for the Reverend Henry Bull, who actually somewhat enjoyed the hauntings and built a summer house so he could watch where the nun was supposed to walk while he was smoking his cigars.
1: And while the Bull family didn't mind the nun's ghost so much, others were really frightened by her. Her face would sometimes appear in windows, and she got so bold as to walk across the lawn in broad daylight. And when Henry's son Harry took over at the rectory, the hauntings increased, and she was seen more frequently, and there were more strange noises and and haunting-like things of this sort. The bulls weren't particularly popular either. There were rumors about the
0: older bull that um, he used a whip on his parishioners and they were misbehaving bull. <laughs> <laughs> um, that he possibly was involved with a dalliance in a maid where she ended up pregnant and also that he was abusive. and he and his son both died in the blue room of the Borley rectory which then became known as one of the most haunted
1: places within the house. So it seems like the ghosts are multiplying, in fact. And in 1927, the Reverend Eric Smith took ownership of the house. And he'd heard that there were strange things that happened there, so he consulted the paranormal investigator, the aforementioned Harry Price, to determine whether the hauntings were real or not. And we're going to talk about Price at greater length later, but I wanted just to set up this character for you, because he is such... A character. He was known for being a prankster and showing off with his parlor tricks. And he would perform magic tricks just to show people how they were done and call the bluff of someone who was trying to bluff him. So in a time when people were capitalizing off wartime tragedy to make money by claiming they could put people in touch with their dead relatives, he set out to call out who the frauds were. And in June 1920, he was elected to the Society for Psychical Research. He wanted to make the business more honest, he wanted to clear up all the fraud, and he exposed a lot of phonies, most notably the spirit photographer William Hope. And Hope had taken hundreds, if not thousands, of spirit photographs and Price was able to show people that this stuff was really fake. Back then, you had to mix all manner of chemicals and use all manner of different types of light and strategies to create a photograph. So it's quite simple to add a strange, shadowy figure in the background of, of a plate. And another way to do it would be by um, having a photographer's assistant appear in the background of a picture, because it took a full minute of sitting still with the shutter open for someone to be captured on film. So it would be easy for someone to sneak in and dart out and create an apparition on film. So Price's personality was such that he loved this sort of stuff of calling people out and of making up stories. He was a bit of a sensationalist journalist. And he thought poltergeists were, as he said, mischievous entities. He dabbled with it. He had great fun with it. And he would spend 16 years in the space of two books documenting Borley Rectory. And he came at
0: the request of the Smiths, who'd gone to a London newspaper and said, you know, there's some crazy stuff going on at the rectory. Please come help us, including the wife of Reverend Smith found a woman's skull in a cabinet. They had a bunch of bells ringing when all the strings had been cut. There were lights and windows. There was a carriage. And my favorite part is when a ghost whispered to Reverend Smith, don't, Carlos, don't, as he was walking into the chapel. They also saw a stranger in a top hat. And when Harry Price came in June of 1929, he called the day 16 hours of thrills. That is a direct <laughs> quote. <laughs> Keys started shooting out of locks, there were bells, there were rocks everywhere, there were a bunch of wrappings things markedly increased when Price came on the scene.
1: He stirred up the poltergeists, for sure. And he arrived on the scene with his uh, now-patented Ghost Hunters kit, a tape measure, a camera, a fingerprinting kit, portable phones. He was there to call the bluffs. And he was convinced that these things weren't being faked.
0: The Smiths actually moved out. They'd had enough of all this ghost business in their rectory, and... Reverend Lionel Foister and his wife Marianne and their daughter Adelaide moved in.
1: And for me, this is where the story gets a little bit creepy because of the violence inflicted on poor Marianne.
0: These events went on between 1930 and 1935, and it seemed that a poltergeist had definitely taken over the rectory. The foisters had water poured on them while they slept. Lionel was whacked in the head with a hairbrush. There were mysterious fires. There were bottles that shattered. Marianne was actually thrown from her bed at one point and almost suffocated by a mattress.
1: And strange writing began appearing on the walls. Things that said, Marianne, please get help. Marianne, please light mass prayers. It seemed pretty obvious that someone was trying to communicate with her, and her attempts to reciprocate the communication didn't work. But it's odd to me that someone who the spirits deemed sympathetic to their plight would be targeted by such violence. And later, the violence was even inflicted on the Foysters' child. So the Foisters had the house exercised, and for a while, it worked. But eventually, it seemed like that just transferred the phenomena to new places and new things.
0: They started hearing strange music coming from the chapel. They saw communion wine turn to ink. Uh, my favorite part is in Harry Price's notes when he said that there were odors found pleasant and unpleasant.
1: <laughs> well, that's never good. I mean, you can get suffocated with the mattress, but when stuff starts smelling bad, it's time to get <laughs> we're out. We're smelling good. <laughs> so whether it was the being tossed from one's bed or the awful smells permeating the air, the foisters had enough. And the house went unoccupied until 1937, when Harry Price moved in. And he advertised in the local newspaper for help conducting the study that he wished to undertake. And I have a copy of the advertisement, and I actually have to read it to you because it just it tickled me and Katie to death, really. Here we go. Haunted House, colon, Responsible Persons of Leisure and Intelligence, Intrepid, Critical, and unbiased are invited to join Rota of Observers in a year's night and day investigation of alleged haunted house and home counties. Printed instructions supplied. Scientific training or ability to operate simple instruments. An advantage. House situated in lonely hamlet. So own car is essential. Write box H period 989. The Times. EC4. And we checked Craigslist for something similarly
0: enticing today and could not find anything that was quite good enough.
1: Well, we found one in Atlanta, but there's no compensation. If I'm going to live with the ghosties, I want to be paid. Well, and my favorite part was it said demonic
0: hauntings, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) (laughs) It
1: doesn't get better than that. But we digress. Back to Harry Price. So he moved in, 1937, and he got... So many responses to his advertisement. He couldn't take them all, and he thought a lot of them were um, phonies or unsuitable, was his word. But he ended up choosing about 48 people to come live with him. And my favorite part
0: is where they all get out their version of a Ouija board called a planchette and try to channel the spirits, at which point a nun named Marie Lair speaks to them and says that she left the convent to marry a man named Henry Waldegrave and her husband strangled her and buried her remains in the cellar.
1: The spousal abuse we alluded to earlier. He was from a very wealthy family, and the house was on the site where the Borley rectory now stood. A later seance
0: actually had the woman not as Marie Lair, but as Arabella Waldegrave, a Stuart spy,
1: and the wife of Henry Waldegrave. But perhaps the biggest... Coup, if one could call it that, was the seance that revealed the house would burn to the ground and evidence of the nun's existence would be revealed. And so, needless to say, everyone was waiting for the big fire to get started, but that didn't happen until 11 months later. And that was when Captain W.H. Gregson had assumed ownership of the house. He was unpacking the books for his library, an oil lamp turned over, and the fire started. And burn the house.
0: And right before that, one of my other favorite stories is a man named W.J. Fithian, a different reverend, who had also communicated with the spirits. And he told Harry Price where to dig in the cellar to find the bones of Arabella Waldegrave or Marie Lair. And they did go to the cellar and dug up part of a skull and a jawbone, along with some holy medals of Catherine Laboure and St. Ignatius.
1: And this was after the house had burned in 1943. Mm -hmm and Price thought he could put the spirits to rest by giving them what he called a proper Christian burial. Did it work? Supposedly not. Supposedly, even today, there is still supernatural phenomena observed in the churchyard near where the Boyley Rectory used to stand. And even when the house was being demolished, Life photographers from Life magazine were there to capture what was happening. And there's a strange photograph that exists with a spectral brick. And people wonder if it's one of the spirits from the Borley Rectory raising the brick in the background to signify we're still here, or if it was a prank pulled by a worker who threw it just as the camera flash was going off to give the illusion of there being a ghost, or simply just to play around with the rubble. And that's the question still about whether these
0: things were real or faked, People are pretty sure that the notes that Marianne Foister found are made up. They took it to a graphologist, and he said basically that they were definitely Marianne's hand. But some of the other parts of it can't be explained. And while the Society for Psychical Research does say that most of it is probably exaggerated by our dear illusionist um, Harry Price, some of it is still up in the air.
1: And if you don't believe in the ghost story aspect of the history of the Boily Rectory, you can at least recognize that this is definitely a point at which paranormal investigators start to gain some clout and people start to take what they say, if not seriously, at least give some credence to it. And as a matter of fact, Harry Price broadcasted on radio one of the first paranormal investigations and just think today about all the different TV networks and movies there are about paranormal investigators You know, it it is a part of our media today, it's a part of popular culture and some people buy into it and some don't so thanks to Harry Price thanks Harry Price and if you want to learn more about different parts of England and other historical ghosts and spooks you can read about it on our website at HowStuffWorks.com